This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK. 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on KKSO, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. I should say uh, four days a week, since we uh, had to take yesterday off, as I was a bit under the weather, feeling a bit better now. Thank you very much for asking, and glad you could join us (laughs) today. Uh, And of course, as you may have heard, this is extremely dangerous for our democracy. Apparently so. That's why we're here every day. Uh, That, of course, is the voice of Desi Doyen there. How are you, Des? You haven't caught my cold yet? I have not, thankfully. Good, glad to hear it. Uh, We've got some uh, disturbing breaking news that I want to get to right off the bat here as it's breaking just before we go to air. Police and uh, federal agents converged on YouTube's headquarters in the San Francisco Bay Area after numerous reports of an active shooter. A a hospital in the area says it has received four or five patients uh, without providing any further details about them. Police in the city of San Bruno now confirm that there are at least four wounded from this shooting that took place, apparently, at YouTube's headquarters. As we go to air, San Bruno Police Chief Ed Berrini Uh, Just offered a a very sparse press briefing with very few details except to say that one person, a female, was found dead due to what appears to be a self-inflicted wound. So the shooter in this case, at this hour at least, appears to be a woman. That's a twist. The uh, investigation continues, of course, but the situation appears to be under control now at this point. More details if we learn any of them uh, uh, today on on that. 
And also just be careful that, you know, when these active situations happen, to be careful about the news media that you consume and the news media that you share. Just make sure that it's from, you know, verified sources that say it's confirmed uh, rather than just sort of spreading stuff willy nilly. Like like the broadcast? <laughs> no, you go for what's actually confirmed from the actual sheriff actually standing there. All right. Uh, speaking of being careful about where you get your news, uh, we're going to talk about this uh, the Sinclair broadcasting situation. Uh, you you have probably seen the uh, the viral video by now uh, about what this company, this right wing company, who owns more. TV outlets, more local TV stations than any other company in the country. Um, this uh, the script that they have been forcing their trusted local anchors to read, uh, I guess, just to make it harder and harder to know who to trust. We're going to talk about that uh, shortly with Pam Vogel. But some other breaking news also as we go to air that is a little bit happier here. Uh, today, uh, from from Desi's home state of Texas, oh yeah, <clears throat> some good voting news from Yay. Texas. How often does that happen? Not often enough. Judge Orlando Garcia, the chief judge of the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Texas, has granted plaintiffs' motion for summary judgment in the uh, Stringer versus Pablo's case, which had argued that the state had violated. The Federal National Voter Registration Act, or NVRA, or sometimes referred to as the Motor Voter Law, since it is supposed to allow uh, people to sign up to vote when they go to their uh, to their Department of Motor Vehicles to get a driver's license or to update their driver's license when they move, for example. So the judge in this case uh, finds that Texas violated both the NVRA and the U.S. Constitution by failing to register Texans to vote when they updated their driver's license information online. This according to the Texas Civil Rights Project. Uh, In uh, early 2016, they had sued the state of Texas for refusing to register more than one and a half million Texans who update their information online annually through the Department of Public Safety, or the DPS, um, when they do it online at the website. The state's failure violated the NVRA, as well as the Equal Protection Clause, they argued, and the judge apparently agreed. From the plaintiff's motion here for summary judgment, they note that the, uh, the court has already held. This has been going on for years and years, by the way, in Texas. So it's taken this long for them to get this judgment. But the court had already held that the NVRA requires that each driver's license application, including any renewal applications, simul- simultaneously serve as an application for voter registration and that each change of address form be used to update the voter's registration records. Texas, uh, they say uh, Texas's refusal to integrate voter registration into its online driver's license renewal and change of address process affects one and a half million Texans annually, including the plaintiffs who, in this case, had moved within Texas, changed their driver's license uh, address using the uh, DPS online driver's license renewal and change of address website. They had indicated yes in response to the prompt asking if they wanted to register to vote, but they were not registered to vote. Each plaintiff, although eligible to do so, was prevented from fully exercising his fundamental right to vote in a subsequent election due to 
his outdated registration record. So they thought they were updating their registration online as they were updating their uh, their their driver's license information. As the button on the website apparently indicated they were. Right. But then when they showed up to vote, they found out they weren't registered. Uh, and uh, they have known for years about this. Uh, the plaintiffs argued here and took no Texas took no meaningful steps to fix the process. Instead, they write adding insult to injury. DPS encourages the use of the online system over in-person transactions, resulting predictably in a dramatic uptick in online transactions and by extension, injured prospective voters. So uh, good news. Uh, a judge has uh, agreed with uh, with the plaintiffs here and uh, will be uh, issuing a, a finding within the next two weeks and then figuring out what the state of Texas is going to have to do to cure this problem. Uh, the plaintiffs say the Texas Civil Rights Project say that uh, when people had attempted to vote, thousands at least have found themselves to be unregistered and forced to cast provisional ballots, which did not count because if they weren't registered in the first place, even though they thought they were, even though they, uh, you know, they had filled out all the information online that would be needed to register to vote. And then they checked the box. Yes, I would like to register to vote. But then they found out they weren't. So Beth Stevens, the voting rights director at the uh, TCRP, says for too long, the state of Texas has ignored federal voting rights laws intended to ensure that all eligible voters have an opportunity to register to vote. Even worse, because of these failures, countless Texans have been prevented from casting a ballot that counts, thereby unlawfully shutting people out of our democratic process. The uh, president of the TCRP says the decision today is one giant step in the right direction as we fight to ensure that not one eligible voter is denied the right to cast a ballot that counts. Of course, there's no small irony here in the fact that it's the National Voter Registration Act that GOP-controlled states like Texas are continuously found to have violated in suits like this. The irony is that it's also the NVRA that right-wing voter fraud fraudsters have been trying to use in courts in order to force states to purge their voting rolls, but that doesn't appear to be working for them either. A member of President Trump's now defunct voter fraud commission suffered a huge defeat on Friday when a federal judge in Florida ruled against a lawsuit aimed at purging voters from the rolls. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, or PILF, I like to call them pilfers. Yeah. Uh, a group led by the right wing anti voting activist J. Christian Adams. Uh, he had sued Broward County election officials back in 2016, charging that the voter rolls in Broward County were overinflated with dead people and others that should have been purged from the rolls, which, as the right wingers like to argue, allows for all sorts of dead people to come in and and vote illegally, despite the fact that these zombie voters uh, actually don't happen. But, you know, you, you got to purge the voting rolls uh, somehow, uh, according to these right wingers. And in fact, many of the voter rolls do have a bunch of dead people on them because, you know what, dead people don't tend 
to call the county registrar and uh, ask to be removed from the voting rolls. So it takes a while for them to be removed. And yet these right uh, Republicans like to contend that there's all sorts of people, I guess, figuring out who died and then going in and somehow voting in their names. And uh, therefore, they're demanding the National Voter Registration Act does require voter list maintenance. Uh, and so they're demanding that these voter rolls be purged quicker, uh, more often, uh, even if it means that s- some folks who should not have been purged end up losing their right to vote in the bargain. This was one of several lawsuits that the group has brought suggesting mass voter fraud all over the country. It was the first one to go to uh, to a full trial. And you will be shocked to hear it did not go well for the pilfers. U.S. District Judge Beth Bloom said in her 60-page opinion issued on Friday that one of the main pieces of evidence that PILF had presented in the case, that there were more voters on Broward County's registration rolls than estimated eligible voters, according to an interpretation of the U.S. Census, that that charge was misleading. Making that comparison is a tactic that PILF uses uh, all over the country to try to bully local election officials into uh, conducting more aggressive voter roll purges, even though election experts say that comparing the two sets of numbers, the numbers of uh, those people on the registered rolls versus the estimated eligible voters, according to U.S. Census data from, you know, 10 years ago, Uh, that that is an apples to oranges comparison. And in fact, the judge went into into detail in her findings, uh, saying that the data sets, the two data sets here simply do not allow for an accurate comparison. Oh, good. So uh, the the, uh, related group here that goes along with PILF, the American Civil Rights Union, or as this is a right wing group, they call themselves ACRU. See what they did there? It kind of mm-hmm. sounds like ACLU. Uh, they were the ones who had sued Broward County uh, Supervisor of Elections Brenda Snipes, alleging that she had violated the NVRA, uh, which requires that officials make a reasonable effort to remove ineligible voters from the rolls. Quote, reasonable effort. The judge found that the challenger's claims that Snipes did not maintain an adequate list uh, list maintenance program, uh, that it was unsupported by the weight of the evidence. The court, uh, she says, uh, found that ACRU's proposed definition of, quote, reasonable efforts is too subjective and would lead to an arbitrary, non-uniform, unworkable and unpredictable application. Adams, by the way. Uh, the guy who runs uh, one of these groups, uh, he served on the now defunct presidential commission that was created by Donald Trump and led by national embarrassment GOP voter fraud fraudster uh, Chris Kobach, who is also the Kansas secretary of state. He's running for governor this year. Um, he had served on this commission that was created after Trump had claimed that millions of people voted illegally in 2016. That commission was dissolved back in January after a whole bunch of lawsuits uh, against them. And they lost pretty much every single one of them and otherwise embarrassed themselves in numerous ways. So this bunch of GOP voter fraud fraudsters is having a very difficult time lately. 
Rick Hassan, the UC Irvine election law expert, uh, tweeted in response to the suit that they lost in Broward. He said, I expect the next shoe to drop will be a judicial smackdown of Kobach's claims of massive non-citizen voting in the Kansas voting suit. That suit had been playing out over recent weeks. It was so crazy. It was so insane. And Chris Kobach was embarrassed. He was uh, he was sued in this case by the ACLU, the real one, not the fake one. And uh, he was representing himself in this case. And clearly he and a team of attorneys from the secretary of state's office in Kansas, in Kansas, had no idea what they were doing. They were admonished day after day after day by the judge for trying to put forward evidence. By not following the that rules they were not allowed of evidence. To. Yeah. The basic like law school 101 stuff. Yeah. A, a, a day after day. It was just absurd over the past couple of weeks. I wanted to cover it. I was trying to find an on-ramp to cover it, but so much... Insanity. Insanity. Idiocy kept coming out of that trial. It was hard to even keep up with. So Rick Hassan thinks, uh, so, you know, A, we got this judge who has smacked down this long-held belief that the National Voter Registration Act was being violated by uh, officials not purging people enough. That was sort of... Uh, you know, one part of this effort. And the other part is, you know, claiming that there's massive non-citizens uh, who are on the voting rolls, that case, he will probably be smacked down there. And that judge, by the way, I think was a George W. Bush appointee in that case in Kansas. So Hassan says, put these two together, these two cases together, and you'll see that there's no there there to the claims that voter fraud is a major problem in our election system. Well, I hope he's right uh, as these guys continue to get smacked down in courts. Uh, but that have, has little to do with whether the GOP voter fraud fraudster, fraudsters are going to continue to make this claim publicly, no matter what the courts say. It's been you know, disproven for years that the case they were making is nonsense, going all the way back at least to George W. Bush's own Department of Justice, which had spent millions on a voter fraud study, only to find that they could come up with something like one or two people going back 10 years across the entire country. Just two people who may, may have voted twice in such a way that polling, uh, uh, polling place photo ID voting restrictions might, might have prevented them from doing so. So it's been this huge con, but, you know, all they need is the perception of fraud to continue pushing these laws to make it harder to vote. And that's what Republicans, of course, continue to do this year in some 30 different states. And as I suspect, they'll work even harder to do as their odds get worse and worse uh, as we get closer to the crucial midterm elections this year. But at least our courts now seem to be getting it. Uh, at least the courts below the Supreme Court. We'll see how things go there. But uh, the courts seem to be getting it. And to a better extent, our media seem to be getting it. They took over a decade before they truly even began to understand the GOP scam that had been carried out. You're looking at me skeptically, well, uh, no, I, Des, I, like you don't think they're I, getting it. Uh, that's absolutely wrong. I completely agree with you. It took them forever, 
forever to hear anything about the data that actually proved that this voter fraud nonsense is nonsense and a fraud. My voice probably wouldn't be hoarse today had they uh, five or ten years ago uh, paid attention to what we were trying to point out, the actual hard evidence and data that we were trying to point out at Bradblog.com and here on the Bradcast. But, of course, this is why it's so important to have a media which understands the con that the GOP is putting out and are willing to call them out on it. That's also why it's so troubling that particularly on the local level where viewers and readers are, are, are most trustful of their local media outlets. That's why it's so troubling now that local media are more and more being taken over by far right wing corporations who are hell bent on, frankly, lying to the American people, confusing them about what's really going on. Whether it comes to our, our democracy, our voting, our, our global warming, which we'll talk about in a Green News report coming up a little bit later. Uh, but they are now using these right wing corporations are now using trusted local media outlets to do so, to 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 forward these lies and this confusion. Let's take a quick break here and we'll be joined momentarily by Pam Vogel, who has been covering this disturbing Sinclair Media Group story for a long time now, wherein the. Trump propagandists at Sinclair who run that company, which own more local television stations and news outlets than any other in the country. They are quickly increasing their control over trusted local news outlets. And now they have the help of the Trump White House, the Trump FCC, to deceptively push the Trump agenda on unsuspecting viewers across the nation. That story is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. President Donald Trump heaped more praise upon the right-wing Sinclair Broadcast Group in an early morning tweet on Tuesday asserting its superiority over all of the major news networks. Well, all of them except for Fox. Trump tweeted the fake news networks, those that knowingly have a sick and biased agenda, are worried about the competition and quality of Sinclair broadcast. The fakers at CNN, NBC, ABC and CBS have done so much dishonest reporting that they should only be allowed to get awards for fiction. The president of the United States tweeted today. He uh, tweeted in support of Sinclair also on Monday as well, but only put it ahead of uh, just two networks, CNN and NBC. But I guess the rest of the national networks have gotten much worse over the past 24 hours. Last month, CNN's Brian Stelter broke the news that Sinclair Broadcast Group, owner or operator of nearly 200 TV stations across the U.S., would be forcing its news anchors 
to record a promo about the, quote, troubling trend of irresponsible, one-sided news stories plaguing our country. The script parrots Donald Trump's criticism of the news media, using, for example, the phrase fake news to describe stories that he perceives as contrary to his own agenda. You may have heard the viral version of those anchors uh, at uh, dozens and dozens of different Sinclair-owned stations across the country. This this video went viral over the past day or two uh, with these anchors robotically reading the script and what may have many have referred to as uh, as hostage videos, really, of these local news anchors. Here's a bit of that viral video created by Timothy Burke of Deadspin. Hi, I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to, to serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso, Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But the sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish the same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, some media outlets publish the same stories without checking facts first. Unfortunately, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda control. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 And on and on and on it goes with the exact same scripts being read by these otherwise trusted local news anchors all across the country. Now, Sinclair has a long history of supporting Republican political candidates and courting criticism by using the newscasts of its many stations to boost those candidates. As it has expanded, it now owns 173 stations nationwide. It has introduced right-wing pro-Trump commentators to its local newscasts including regular segments featuring its political director, Boris Epstein, a former Trump campaign official. During the 2016 presidential campaign, its stations in key swing states landed numerous exclusive interviews with Donald Trump and his surrogates, which they reportedly agreed to run without editing. Even as the company produced a number of news reports that were favorable to Trump, and were critical of his opponent, Hillary Clinton. The controversy over all of this comes at a critical moment for Sinclair, according to Washington Post. The company is awaiting federal approval for its proposed $4 billion buyout of Tribune Media, a deal that would add Tribune's 42 local TV stations to Sinclair's uh, portfolio, They are already the largest single owner of local news stations across the country, but the deal will require the blessing of the Federal Communications Commission and the Justice Department, both of which are dominated, of course, by Trump loyalists. Employees at these local stations owned by Sinclair uh, complained to CNN about this must-run script, basing... uh, Uh, based on supposedly fake and one-sided news, but they did so largely off-record. 
because these uh, local anchors uh, fear reprisals from their stations or from their owner, Sinclair. Uh, One uh, unnamed investigative reporter told CNN in an article on Monday, quote, it sickens me the way this company is encroaching upon trusted news brands in rural markets. Another unnamed local reporter told CNN, quote, I try every day to do fair local stories, some Trump related, but it's always washed out by this stuff that they do at the national level. All of this comes as Donald Trump's FCC is working towards granting approval for Sinclair's takeover of Tribune Media, which they have actually changed media ownership rules in order to accommodate, according to critics who have Um, spurred an FCC inspector general investigation now into whether the Trump administration, its FCC chair, Ajit Pai, and executives from Sinclair have colluded to make way for this merger. Joining us now to discuss all of this, what it means, where it may or may not be going, is Pam Vogel of Media Matters for America. She has been closely following the Sinclair machinations for months now long before the national media began to realize that we may have a disturbing problem here. Pam Vogel, uh, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, Are all of the, uh, our pleasure, are all of the Sinclair-owned stations now running these hostage commentaries, uh, to your knowledge? Well, uh, so using the media databases that we have access to, Mm -hmm. we found at least 66 examples as of yesterday from different stations Um, in 29 states and in D.C. So obviously that's a little bit smaller of a number than what you mentioned at the top. They're Mm -hmm. actually up to owning or operating 190 stations now. Mm. Um, They had a smaller acquisition towards the end of last year. But some of their stations don't run news, so they might be something like a CW affiliate that Mm -hmm. mostly is just running entertainment programming. Um, But on all of their news stations, these are appearing. And, and we're also getting reports from some people on Twitter and elsewhere that are telling us that they're seeing them on different stations. Um, it's just tough to verify, which is probably why Sinclair has been so successful for so long, because they kind of fly under the radar with larger or with smaller scale mm-hmm. local news. Yeah. So. And, and it's it, it, it's troubling. It's confusing because all of these stations that they own, they're not just one particular network. They're ABC, CBS, NBC, uh, Fox affiliates all over the country. And they they don't really brand themselves, do they, as uh, Sinclair broadcast outlets in that way? No, and that, that's exactly why I think, again, they've been so successful for so long is because they kind of exploit the inherent trust that people have for their local news. You know, if they're tuning into Fox or MSNBC, you kind of know what you're, what you're tuning into. Yeah. You know what you've signed up for. But locally, if you're just turning to, you know, ABC6, or NBC 12 or something, Mm -hmm. you aren't necessarily aware of who's sort of pulling the strings behind the scenes. There's no Sinclair logo on the screen. A lot of folks obviously are very concerned about these uh, these must-run commentaries from uh, Trump sycophants like uh, Boris Epstein and and, uh, Sebastian Gorka, etc. Do local stations have any options at all when it comes to airing those commentaries from the from the national office? It seems like they don't really have the option to forego airing them completely if they're a news station, but we have seen some employees who have spoken out anonymously in different news outlets and have talked about how they at least try to run them sometimes by rebelling. They try to run them at, like, off hours or hours where viewership is lower. 
so anecdotally, I've seen some examples through our own media monitoring where they'll run at like two in the morning. Um, they also often, I've seen a lot of stations, um, instead of sort of seamlessly integrating them into their newscast, they'll cut to commercial and then play it before the commercials. So they're sort of doing anything they can on a very small basis to try and you know separate their locally run newscast mm-hmm. from these nationally controlled segments. Are, are there any must-run commentaries that are not from these Trump people, you know, to, so that they can even pretend? I mean, after all, their, uh, the, that hostage video uh, uh, script they had to read uh, talks about, you know, complains about one-sided news stories plaguing our country. Uh, so do they have any stories that are must-run from the other side of the uh, political agenda? No, it isn't that ironic. Um, so their must-run commentary segments, they actually only have one right now, which is the Boris Epstein segments that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to have a second person who did commentary who was a former Sinclair executive and was also extremely uh, right-wing. Those were taken off the air earlier this year for health reasons, completely unrelated to anything else. Mm. But um, And then they, the other must-run segment that they produce nationally are these terrorism alert desk segments, which also um, are airing pretty much every other day on average. Wow. And while those aren't necessarily labeled as commentary or would be considered analysis, they're more of a reading off of headlines. Um, after studying a year of them, I think it's pretty clear that they are presenting one point of view about what terror is and how, um, how it looks and sort of designed to create some xenophobia among audiences. Um, and then the final sort of must-run stuff that we know about are they have a, a team of national reporters that are based usually here in D.C. and in Maryland where their headquarters are, um, and they're producing what you would consider to be more like news packages that um, some of the stations run. But we are hearing now that at least one of those reporters used to work at RT and um, you know, recently ran a segment that, where she talked about Deep State and Gorka was included in that segment. Mm. So it's sort of, that's a little bit more of an unknown entity, but it's pretty clear that none of the examples I've provided have anything to do with any sort of other side. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, ironically enough, after uh, after that, that that script they forced everyone to read. Now, I, I know that a lot of the local anchors uh, have been uh, pushing back in their various ways uh, off record to CNN. Uh, others have have come out. I think there was one anchor up in uh, Seattle at at Como up there who, you know, said that uh, she agreed with the message, but she also seemed to be saying, "If you have a problem with it, please contact." Contact our uh, our national office at Sinclair. So they've had uh, you know sort of different responses to it. But at least when it comes to those commentaries, those are labeled as such. I have a concern about uh, how that thinking makes its way into the local stations themselves, their local uh, news, for example. This uh, montage that uh, John Oliver put together over the weekend underscores it may not just be the national must-run commentary. Let me play a little bit of of that from uh, John Oliver. Did the FBI have a personal vendetta in pursuing the Russia investigation of President Trump's former national security advisor Michael Flynn? Did the FBI have a personal vendetta in pursuing the Russia investigation of President Trump's former national security advisor Michael Flynn? Did the FBI have a personal vendetta in pursuing the Russia investigation of President Trump's former national security advisor 
advisor Michael Flynn. Did the FBI have a personal vendetta in pursuing the investigation? It could very well be true. Actually, uh, that was back from uh, a few months ago on uh, on John Oliver. But Pam Vogel, have you have you found evidence in your research of the the news stations themselves, not the must run national stuff, but the news stations themselves similarly being slanted towards the, the Trump agenda as well? Like we hear in that script that seems to have been read by uh, a number of different Sinclair stations. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting example because. So far, what we've found is that 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 sort of stuff appears largely in introducing those national segments Mm. that we were just talking about. So it's a little bit of a needle in a haystack to look for specific examples throughout their now 190 stations. Um, But I think we've heard some anecdotally, and what I think is really sort of heartening is that we get a lot of people reaching out to us and reaching out, I'm sure, to a lot of reporters to share their own experiences with their local news outlets, and that makes our jobs a little bit easier. So it's really great to hear from people on the ground. I hope that we continue to get more tips like that so we can pursue them. Mm. Um, But in the meantime, I think we're a little bit more focused on the national stuff because it's such an unusual practice on Sinclair's end. Um, Obviously, it's not unusual to have sort of promotional things that are – the same across different stations when you're a larger group like that. But the ideological stuff is clearly very different. Now, Sinclair has for a very, very long time uh, been a right wing outlet. I think folks need to remember that it was uh, the Sinclair group that was requiring its stations to run that infamous uh, swift boating documentary against John Kerry when he was uh, running for president against George W. Bush back in 2004. So why has the concern about Sinclair suddenly ramped up? Is it uh, that people are finally beginning to notice, or has Sinclair themselves changed the way that they do business in uh, in recent months to become even more right-wing as you see it, Pam? Well, I think it's a few things. So around this time last year is when Sinclair... Um, announced that they were going to be going through a huge acquisition to acquire something like 42 more stations from Tribune Media, which is would allow it, if it were finalized, it hasn't been finalized yet, but if the acquisition is finalized, would allow Sinclair to push into a lot of major cities and the largest media markets in the country in a way where they currently don't have a presence. So they're already the largest owner of local television stations in the country, but this deal is completely unprecedented, and it wouldn't have actually been possible um, unless Trump's FCC, now that it was under a Republican majority control with Trump in office, um, made some special moves to make that deal possible in the first place. So after that, I think people's the alarm bells were sort of ringing, um, coupled with the knowledge that they had struck that deal for greater access in exchange for better coverage during the campaign season. Do we know, um, is that what the inspector general is now looking into as far as uh, why it was that the FCC and uh, the uh, right-wing chair of the FCC, Ajit Pai, um, why they changed the rules to allow to broaden the local media ownership rules uh, to allow this sale? Is that what the inspector general, as far as you know, is actually looking at at this point? Yes. So at this point, the details of that ongoing investigation are not being confirmed by the FCC, really, but they're being confirmed by um, senators and members of the House who sort of called for this investigation in the first place. 
um, obviously because of widespread activism. And so they are, in those letters that the different Congress members wrote, Mm -hmm. um, sort of calling for that investigation in the first place, they really relay this very outrageous timeline of events that sort of paints a picture of this symbiotic relationship between the Trump administration, the FCC under that administration, and Sinclair. Um, So they talk about some reports that, for example, Trump met with a Sinclair executive, and they talked about the FCC um, there's communications between, obviously, between Pi and the White House. And Pi also allegedly met with Sinclair executives several times, including the day before he was appointed as chair of the FCC. So combining some of those reports with the rule repeal that we were just talking about and several other smaller rule repeals that the FCC has done since then, um, it seems pretty clear that there is something that it can't all be a coincidence, in my opinion. <laughs> No, it's I, I I agree with you. I I just wonder if there's anything illegal, unlawful about it. I mean, you know, these are right wingers. They like these right wing uh, outlets, obviously. And uh, are are you clear yet what might have been inappropriate or unlawful in their in their dealings here? No, it's not clear. It could be a matter of ethics mm-hmm. more than law. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but, I mean, all we have to go on is the timeline of what's publicly known now mm-hmm. that they're investigating. So certainly I can speculate, but um, I think it is a little bit heartening because even though it's pretty likely based on their track record so far that the FCC will ultimately approve that huge acquisition, mm-hmm. um, if that internal investigation leads to any sort of conclusion that seems unethical or worse, um, that is certainly that that could be grounds for challenging the FCC's decision. Mm. So it is sort of a, a little sliver of hope that we have. The uh, vice president of news at Sinclair, Scott Livingston, uh, has responded to all of these uh, critiques that have been now piling in since this great uh, montage uh, put together by Deadspin. Uh, he says that, uh, uh, quote, the critics are now upset about our well-researched journalistic initiative focused on fair and objective reporting. Uh, this is a memo that was obtained by CNN that was uh, sent to uh, Sinclair-owned newsrooms. Uh, Livingston goes on to say, for the record, the stories we are referencing in this campaign are the unsubstantiated ones, uh, for example, fake and false, like Pope endorses Trump which move quickly across social media and result in an ill-informed public. But that's not what the script that they forced these uh, local station anchors to read actually said. They weren't just condemning the uh, you know, biased and false news on social media, as Livingston claims. Uh, they went on to talk about national media outlets publishing these same fake stories without checking facts first. Uh, is, is there is there anything we can do? How do you respond to, to Livingston's response to uh, defense of what, what they're doing? I think it seems pretty clear what the motive is when you look at the whole picture. I think his goal in having a defense like that is to strip all context away from the conversation. Um, but you're exactly right that that's not what the script is really talking about. Of course, there is a line that's geared towards social media, but there are others that talk about national media. They talk about media figures specifically. Um, they're obviously not naming names, but if you look at, for example, Boris Epstein's segments that they seem to really enjoy, you know, because they've upped how many he produces, mm-hmm. he's going after CNN by name, for example, um, and he doesn't go after Fox. 
So it's pretty easy to connect the dots. Um, and I also think it's pretty funny because the script first leaked to CNN earlier in March before these segments aired at all. Mm-hmm. And in that original script, it explicitly said national media. And when Livingston was criticized about that and then asked about it on NPR, he sort of defended and he gave the same sort of defense about social media. And then in the final script, the word national is not next to the word media anymore. Uh-huh. So it's it's pretty clear what's going on here. I think it's kind of laughable. Media, uh, Brian Stelter on uh, CNN says uh, that uh, media investor Peter Shernan, uh, who held high-ranking positions at Rupert Murdoch's News Corp for decades, uh, tweeted, quote, This is insidious. The first key to stopping it is to call on advertisers who support this propaganda and express your objections. Uh, Pam Bogle, this seems notable to me for a couple of reasons. One, because uh, Shernan spent years at Murdoch's News Corp, owners of Fox News, who basically invented this right-wing fake news genre on on TV, at least, and uh, and B, because advertiser boycotts have been used very effectively against Fox News in uh, recent months. Uh, Primetime personalities like Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity and more recently Laura Ingram. Uh, Can Shernan's comments there be taken by activists as confirmation that their boycotts of these uh, advertisers have a very real effect on uh, on these outlets and on the executives who, who run these operations? And is there any such opera- opposition uh, that you know of in the works right now against uh, Sinclair, to your knowledge? I think, I mean, what we're really focused on, at least at the moment, is just an information campaign. Um, we're not necessarily calling for a boycott or anything like that, um, at least not at Media Matters, but I think what we're really interested in is making sure people feel empowered to at least know who is owning and operating their stations. Because like we talked about, it's not always very obvious just by looking at the screen or watching the newscast. So I think that's sort of step number one, particularly with Sinclair having such a strong uh, foothold in, you know, battleground states, mid-sized cities, smaller places where access to information is just a little bit harder. Um, speaking more broadly to advertiser boycotts, we've seen some success in just doing the sort of information campaign work here at Media Matters mm-hmm. and in, you know, helping with actual boycotts. So I tend to think that money does speak, um, but it's not necessarily our uh, wheelhouse to recommend that action, um, at least not at the moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. But for now, I think it's very important just make sure to take the time to figure out who owns their station. Sinclair makes it somewhat easy. They list all of their stations. They're pretty proud of how many markets they're able to serve. So it's not too many clicks away. It's uh, it, it's a, in one sense a troubling development. In another uh, sense, I'm thinking, boy, what took everyone so long? Uh, you know, <laughs> we have been seeing this go on for years with Sinclair, obviously with Fox, obviously on our public airwaves, on the radio, which are now completely right wing owned uh, and operated. Very few progressive voices anywhere on our, uh, our on our nation's public media anymore. So I, I do hope this makes a difference. But we will see. I remain dubious. Pam Vogel, really appreciate you joining us today to fill us in on what's going on. Hope you don't mind if we shout out in the future as this moves forward and as uh, folks wake up to the nightmare, the media nightmare that uh, this country has been facing for a long time and that you guys have been trying to draw attention to over at Media Matters for so long. (laughs) 
Thank you. Thanks for talking. You bet. You can find Pam's work uh, at MediaMatters.org and, of course, on the Twitters at Pamela underscore Vogel. Thanks again, Pam. Thank you. Okay, Desi Doyen, do you think that uh, Sinclair uh, news outlets are spending much time talking about climate change and global warming by any chance? (laughs) I have a feeling they are not. I have a feeling they are not as well. So we'll take a quick break and we will come back and do so ourselves. This is the Bradcast and I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. You know, in all fairness, it's not just the Sinclair media outlets that are not reporting on climate change and global warming. That's true. That's true. None of them are. None of them are. None of them have been for years, uh, despite how, uh, as they might say, how dangerous that is, how extremely dangerous that is for our democracy. Anyway, we will continue to report on climate change and global warming and everything related on our Green News Report as long as we can, as we do today, on our latest Green News Report. There is no more beautiful sight than an American-made car. Bad news for consumers. Trump's EPA to roll back fuel efficiency standards for cars. Department of Justice sues California for blocking sale of federally owned lands in California. Exxon's lawsuit to prevent states from investigating its climate change denial is thrown out of court. Plus, listen, I don't know how you survive this one. Environmental groups launch a campaign to boot Pruitt. All of those campaigns and lawsuits straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis and snarky comment. We're going to work on the cafe standards so you can make cars in America again. Wow. You couldn't make cars in America anymore. That'll be news to the auto industry, who just finished seven record years of all-time high sales. Go figure. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the U.S. auto industry has been, forgive the pun, firing on all pistons now for a whole bunch of years, right up until this year. One year after Donald Trump takes office. Yeah, and now they want to roll back the fuel efficiency standards. As expected, the Trump administration's Environmental Protection Agency announced on Monday that it will begin the formal process of rolling back pollution and emission standards for new cars that were set under President Obama. Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt called the Obama-era targets for vehicles starting in 2022, quote, wrong and not appropriate. U.S. automakers heavily 
lobbied for the change and reportedly intend to use the rollback to demand that other countries weaken their standards as well. The Obama standards had been the single biggest action ever taken by the U.S. federal government to curb carbon emissions. Big oil is the big winner since weaker fuel efficiency standards will increase oil consumption. Weakening the targets will also increase carbon emissions, increase air pollution, and will ultimately cost American families money at the gas pump and in health impacts. Money at the gas pump because they're going to be paying higher prices for gas than they would have had these standards been allowed to move forward. As environmental journalist David Roberts of Vox.com noted in a recent broadcast, environmental deregulation amounts to a pollution tax on everyday Americans. Getting rid of these regulations is an upward income redistribution. You're taking money out of the pockets of ordinary people in the form of health costs Mm -hmm. and missed work and all the rest of it, and you're putting it in the pockets of industrialists. Auto industry analysts warn that U.S. carmakers risk losing market share to Chinese and European manufacturers because the rest of the world is moving toward more fuel-efficient cars. Administrator Pruitt also threatened to revoke California's special authority under the Clean Air Act to set more stringent standards for vehicles sold in California. California and other states plan to sue the Trump administration to block the weakening of these standards. Because they're arguing that California's more stringent standards can't stand because somehow that affects markets in the rest of the country? Yes, they want a national standard, which will, of course, be a weaker standard. So, so much for states' rights that Republicans pretend to care about. Exactly. Also on Monday, the Trump Justice Department picked another legal fight with California, suing in federal court to overturn a state law that restricts the transfer of public lands to private buyers as the administration tries to open up more public lands to mining and drilling. The state law gives the California State Lands Commission the right of first refusal over any attempted sale or transfer of publicly owned federal lands that are located in California. So, so much for states' rights that Republicans pretend to believe in. Again, exactly. In politics, major environmental organizations like the Sierra Club and the Environmental Defense Fund have launched a coordinated campaign calling for EPA Chief Scott Pruitt to be fired. The Boot Pruitt campaign highlights Pruitt's deregulatory actions that endanger public health, but also his lavish first-class travel and large private security detail on the taxpayer's dime amid a brewing scandal over his sweetheart below-market rent arrangements for an apartment from the wife of a D.C. energy industry lobbyist. On Sunday's ABC This Week, former New Jersey Governor Republican Chris Christie criticized Pruitt's judgment. The president's been ill-served by this, and if Mr. Pruitt's going to go, it's because he should have never been there in the first place. Finally, some good news. A U.S. federal district judge has dismissed ExxonMobil's lawsuit attempting to block an investigation by the attorneys general of New York and Massachusetts into whether the oil giant covered up what it knew about climate change impacts and whether it lied about it to investors and the public. The judge dismissed Exxon's lawsuit with prejudice, meaning the company cannot bring it again. The judge booted ExxonMobil's case. Yes, she did. And environmentalists are trying to boot Scott Pruitt. Yes, they are. That's a lot of boots. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. These boots are made for walking. And that's just what they'll do 
these days these boots are gonna walk all over you. One of these days. <laughs> uh, it does that story about the EPA uh, essentially making it harder for Americans to afford gasoline because they will, uh, they're Roll rolling back, back these... Those, uh, the fuel economy standards, yeah. exactly. That announcement was, you said, was supposed to be made at a car dealership? Yes, it was supposed to be made at a car dealership in Virginia, but the car dealership said, no thanks, we don't <laughs> want to be associated with the Trump administration brand. <laughs> so instead, the EPA held the event at EPA headquarters so he could announce all of this. Right. But there's a twist to that as well. The EPA tried to allow access only to Fox News. They weren't going to tell, literally, any of the other networks about this announcement. They weren't going to let them in? They were just going to announce it only to Fox News? Yes, and so instead, Fox, to their credit, alerted all of the other networks, so a, a pool was established, a pool camera was established, so that the other networks could also have access. And a CNN journalist, who was actually in the building, was not allowed into the room for the announcement event. But... Fox News said, no, we won't do this. We won't do this alone. you got to let everybody else in. So they did. Here's something you rarely hear me say. <laughs> good, good, good job, Fox News. Yeah. Well, at least there's that. There, At least there's that. We'll take what we can get. All right. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Pam Vogel of Media Matters, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. Love to hear from you. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog, and as ever, my thanks to those who stop by bradblog.com/donate to help us uh, stay on your public airwaves. We don't have has uh, has Sinclair Broadcasting called to buy up our show yet? <laughs> no, they I, I'm ready to read their hostage speech. If that's what it takes. Uh, until that happens, however, we rely on you at bradblog.com slash donate. My thanks to those of you who have decided to uh, sign up for monthly support for our uh, program. And for bradblog.com, any amount you like, uh, any amount you can afford, afford is greatly appreciated. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.